Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, friends. I just want to say welcome to my new podcast. You're doing a good job. And if you don't know, my name is Caleb, and I'm your host. Can I just say that when it comes to this podcast, it is my deepest desire not only to inspire you and challenge you, but also to remind you, regardless of where you're at in life, that you're doing a good job. On this podcast, we will dive deep and explore what it looks like to expand our lives consciously. Because when we expand our lives consciously, we become more emotionally aware, present, and connected people. And when we do become more emotionally aware, present, and connected, we win. Our relationships win, our self-worth wins, our sense of purpose wins, and most importantly, our mental health and emotional wellness win. As you might know, and if you don't, it's important to note that the first season of this podcast is dedicated to the parents of high-achieving students, and for good reason. I'm a full-time emotional wellness and mental health speaker, and over the last few years, I've had the opportunity to speak in hundreds of schools and in front of thousands of students all across the country, and no matter where I am or who I am speaking to, it never fails that a student will come up to me and tell me that despite how much they are doing, or regardless of how much they are accomplishing, deep down, they don't feel like it's ever enough. And because of the tremendous pressure to achieve and resume build in all aspects of their young life, the data and research shows that high achieving students are now named an at-risk group. Because of this pressure coming from all different directions, students are seeing significantly higher rates of anxiety, depression, substance abuse, and troublesome behaviors. And I get it. Why? Well, because so much of that is my story. You know, as a West Point graduate, a former Army officer, and an ex-NFL linebacker, success and achievement have always been a big part of my life, but I lost myself in the process. So after taking the time to heal and reframe that season of my life, it has become a passion of mine to help high-achieving students and their parents relentlessly pursue their goals in life and not lose themselves in the process. And I am so excited about this episode because I recently had the chance to sit down and talk with JC Pohl. And the thing is, JC, he's not just a guest, but he's a friend. Over the last few years, I've had the chance to partner with JC and see firsthand the incredible work that he is doing with students and teachers and even parents all around America. And I can't wait for you to hear what he has to say. On this episode of You're Doing a Good Job, we dive deep into what it looks like and the proven tactics that can help you build resilient students from the inside out. On top of that, we talk about the importance of taking ownership as parents as we begin to recognize that students model what they are taught directly or indirectly. JC also talks about, and I love this part, but he talks about when we need to show up as a parent versus the times that we need to show up as a consultant and why that's important when it comes to building resilience. He also talks about the importance of the word wonder, which I found incredibly useful even in my own life. And towards the end of the podcast, JC does such a great job at describing the difference between self-esteem and self-efficacy and why that is important. Lastly, we dive into what it looks like to create the safe space that is needed to have hard and brave conversations. 
If you don't know, JC is an award-winning producer, nationally recognized speaker, and a certified counselor who has reached over 10 million people with his efforts to build school culture and empower student voice. He has produced groundbreaking programs such as Teen Truth and Rising Up, and award-winning content for companies such as Warner Brothers, ESPN, and Disney. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I have all the links where you can reach him and see more of the incredible work that he is doing listed in the show notes to this episode. Also, I think it is important to note that I have the incredible opportunity to partner with JC, and I do speak in schools around the country with JC's organization, Teen Truth. And if you are ever interested in bringing me into your school to work with your staff, faculty, students, or I've also been doing these parent nights where parents show up and get a dive deep into the same work that their students will be doing with me. You can learn more about all of that at www.teentruth.net slash Caleb Campbell. Again, that's www.teentruth.net slash Caleb Campbell. All you have to do is fill out that form on the bottom of the page and we will be in touch. I will also have that linked in the show notes to this episode. Lastly, before we dive into this podcast, can I ask a big favor? If you find this episode useful in any way, it would mean the world to me if you just left a review on my podcast, as well as share this episode with one friend that you might think would benefit from it. Again, just rating and leaving a review on also sharing this podcast episode with one friend, that would be so incredibly helpful. And now that we've got that out of the way, Here's what JC has to say. JC Paul, <laughs> I think this is a, a special moment for me uh, because it's gone full circle. It's been a few years now since uh, we originally got connected and I had the chance to sit down and talk with you and you have been a, a big part of my life this last season in regards to giving me an opportunity to share my story, put me on a lot of different stages and uh, having you here on this podcast with me today. It's just an honor. So thank you for being here. Yeah, no, thanks, Caleb. It's an honor for me to be here too. I'm a fan of your work and uh, just so excited to have you on our Teen Truth team and just know every time you step on stage for us that you're making an impact and your story just resonates so well with students as well as teachers and parents. And it's just it's awesome. Full circle is the best word to use for sure. I love it. Um, just you mentioned Teen Truth, uh, just so that people have a more understanding uh, around who you are. Go ahead and just kind of explain the work that you've been doing over these last several years. Yeah, definitely. Caleb and I and a few other speakers that work for me, uh, we travel the country working with students around social and emotional issues that they're struggling with. And it's been a pretty crazy ride for me because let me tell you, Caleb, <laughs> never in my wildest dreams did I expect to be speaking in schools. Like I didn't, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a principal. Like no plan to be really doing that. My, my background was actually in film. So I love movies growing up. I was a big fan of like Disney and all that stuff. And long story short, is I uh, I used to work for Walt Disney Studios. So I worked in marketing there at the studio and 
was really just pursuing a career as a filmmaker, worked for Disney DVD and got the chance to work for Warner Brothers and ESPN over the years. And, um, you know, around that same time in my life, especially those younger years at Disney, uh, we had an event here in America that really switched my path. And it's really what brought me here today to speak to you, Caleb, and what brought us all this work. And uh, that was the Columbine High School shooting. And when Columbine happened, you know, that was just a huge tragedy and it really shocked our country. And as we all know, or many of us know listening, it's crazy, right? Some of the kids were speaking to yeah. in school, but they, they literally weren't even born right. when Columbine happened. Uh, but it's this huge historic event that really shocked our country and it just impacted education and impacted the school experience in many different ways. And we just really felt as young filmmakers, like no one's giving kids a voice around the issue. And so long story short is we ended up asking five students to film for us. We told them, Hey, we just want to know what you think. We don't, we want to know what's going on in your life. We want to give you a voice around this issue. And we just said, take us to school, take us to work, you know, take us on the bus, take us out with your family and friends. And let me just tell you, Caleb, these five students, they were their butt off. All right. <laughs> they shot almost a hundred hours of, footage Jeez. between the five of them which we put into our first film the teen truth bullying school violence film and uh, this prem film premiered a few years back but you know it, it broke records for our distributor and it became one of the top selling anti-bully films in the country and the reason i think it was so successful is because we never set out to tell students what to do uh, we know people tell kids what to do all the time. Like we just have to give them a voice and ask them to talk about some of these social and emotional issues that they're struggling with. Um, as you know, working on our team and those of you that know Teen Truth out there, we got to go on and make other films on drugs and alcohol abuse. We made films on body image and self-esteem. We got a film on parenting. So we actually asked kids to film and tell parents how to be better parents. Sure, and parents love we that. Got, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got new movies coming out on, you know, social media, academic pressure, vaping. And so really Teen Truth is like this student shot film series where everything's coming from the student perspective. Mm. And so what guys like me and Caleb and the rest of our team do is we travel the country sharing our story and really empowering students on campus to share their truth and to talk about what they're going through. And we kind of use the films now to model, you know, what that looks like. Like, hey, these kids talked about what they were going through. Yeah. We're wondering what might change in your life if you could talk about what you're going through. And so our underlying mission with Teen Truth is to really just empower student voice and help kids tell their truth. Uh, we service about 200 schools a year bet between the speakers that work for us. And we have curriculum and leadership summits that we do and school assemblies, as well as teacher trainings, really about this idea of just building school culture and, yeah. and getting kids engaged on campus. Yeah. Uh, I will second you whenever you said the last pe uh, person or people that you would thought you would be speaking to are <laughs> students because it really, you know, it's the last group that I expected to be speaking to, but it's turned into such a blessing. I think as much as I have had the opportunity to speak to students and to help them, they've also mirrored back so many things to me. And it was so grateful. I'm curious though, because I actually don't know this. Have you kept in touch with those five students that initially shot that film? <laughs> Um, yeah, I am in touch with one of them, actually, um, I'm closer with, you know, we filmed that back, you know, when Columbine happened, it was 99. So um, they filmed in like 2000, 2001. Yeah. Um, so we, we, we kept in touch with them for a while, but I would say to answer your question fairly and truthfully, not so much now these yeah. days, but um, yeah, I've always thought it would be cool to kind of regroup with the five of them. And uh, do some sort of follow-up film. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, you know, now they're all like, you know, whatever, in their 30s, you know, mid-30s or whatever it might be. So uh, pretty crazy, yeah. Well, I know that with Teen Truth um, and, you know, whenever I have a chance to speak with students and to hold space for students and, you know, I say I, I will help facilitate brave conversations with students. Um, a big part of what we're doing is helping build 
uh, resilience in these young men and women, right? And these young students. And so I also know that you've written a book on resilience and it's a big cornerstone of the work that you do. Um, and just so that the audience listening, I think for the, uh, for the sake of today's episode, my intention is, is let's have a deep conversation around resilience. Um, and I would love for you just to start out with what is resilience um, and why is it important? Yeah, I think resilience for me is really, uh, and you and before we hit record, we we're talking about a little bit. It's not really having a positive attitude, like this can do attitude. It's really about like taking the hits and moving forward. Um, you know, everyone knows the saying, like get knocked down and get back up. And I think for me, it's really building the belief in students that they can get back up, right? That they can keep moving forward. Um, you know, you and I, when we go to campuses, we deal with kids who are being bullied, we deal with kids dealing with crazy situations at home the big one now right is like dealing with all these kids that are like amped up academically and they're super stressed out and they're like really falling apart inside mentally because of that stress and so like building up a capacity inside of them that they have the the coping skills and the strengths as well as the support system and i want to really pause on that word here um the support system i believe is like the key factor in building resilience i think sometimes when we hear the word resilience you know we think of rocky balboa right like in the (laughs) ring fighting it out like whatever right but it's like what i've really learned about resilience and our work is it's really more about the support system and the relationships around the child. And that's really what we focus on in the book is to ask educators and administrators and counselors and parents, like, could we build a system around kids that would help them be resilient and help give them that support? Um, And that was really our focus. Yeah. And I want to dive into that uh, probably later on in this episode. Um, Real quick, though, what would you say is the difference between resilience and grit? Because I know these became very big buzzwords when um, Angela Duckworth, I think, you know, really started to speak about it. And she wrote the book Grit. And now these are two qualities that are very much taken into high regard when it comes to hiring processes, right? And to adding people to teams, like, can they demonstrate a sense of resilience and grit? So what are the the differences between resilient and grit, just so that we're clear? Yeah, I, I think for me, grit, uh, and, and I know Angela Duckworth did a lot of great work <laughs> around that, that subject, so I don't want to speak out of turn or anything, but I think for me, it's more like, the mental capacity, like the approach, right? Like the Mm -hmm. idea that you can work through it, like mentally, um, you, that you have that inside of you, like that's grit to me, the, the ability to get dirty and and kind of get back up, like the mental capacity to do that. Where resilience to me is more like almost like the outcome of it, I guess, if that makes sense. So resilience is what happens when you're on the other side of the grit, right? Like you've, you've had the mental capacity, you've worked hard and you look back and say, wow, I climbed that mountain. Wow. I worked through that struggle. Um, you know, it's really the result of, for me, the mental mindset that, that you can get through it and you have the, and we'll talk about this when we get to the book, but the self-efficacy, right? The internal belief, yeah. Um, that you can believe it. So um, interesting side note on grit, and I don't want to throw a bomb Please. into this podcast, but it was a bomb <laughs> that was thrown at me because I was not aware of it. I spoke at a um, a school up in Washington a few weeks ago, and they asked me if I was going to look at grit. And one of the things that they were saying is like from a, um, like from a racial standpoint, like yeah. an ethnic standpoint, that sometimes it kind of, uh, it can be actually be a negative thing to work with students on that come from different socioeconomic backgrounds because like i was talking about they might not have certain support systems around them and grit is kind of this idea that you've got to kind of do it all by yourself you've got to pull yourself up you've got to have that and 
Um, you know, as we know, some people in our country and our society, they don't, they don't have all that around them sometimes. And they come from very impoverished backgrounds or just where they don't have a lot of support. And so, um, I, it kind of sideswiped me. I'd never heard of that before. So yeah. I went on Google and Googled it up and kind of looked at it. And, and luckily, you know, I don't speak too much on that. I try to speak more, like I was saying about the support system, uh, around the kid. Uh, but I, I thought it was kind of interesting. I don't know That's if you've heard anything about that. That's extremely interesting. I'm so glad that you brought that up because <laughs> it really is true. Even as you think about it, trying to tell a student to keep moving forward and to, this is on you and don't give up and keep going when they don't have a support system, it actually reinforces that they are still all alone. Yeah. Right. And that well, can I mean, be so damaging. Yeah. I mean, even yesterday, weren't you doing a team truth yeah. school where you were working with kids who were like kind of one step out of prison yeah. and they're like, they're like, you don't understand Caleb. Like I watched my dad get shot yeah. or, you know, like was... when I get out of here, I'm going to jail, you know? And so it's hard to teach resiliency sometimes when, when that system is broken Absolutely. down. And, um, that's what I've really fallen in love with. So part of my story, maybe to just kind of add a chapter two to the teen truth story was Teen Truth really changed my life. You know, I, I ended up quitting my work in LA and really followed, you know, Teen Truth full time and left my career as a filmmaker. And that actually took me to Texas State, right outside of Austin, Texas here, where I got my master's in professional counseling. And I really just wanted the information and I wanted to be able to help students and help, you know, help principals build school culture. And I was meeting so many students on the road that were so broken. And I just, I didn't have the tools. Like I went to school for marketing, right? Like my goal in life was like, yeah. be like Jerry Brooks. And work for Disney, you know, like, you know, so I quickly realized I didn't have the tools in my tool belt. And so I went to back to school and got my master's in counseling and, and now I'm a marriage and family therapist. And, and one of the things that has really like, uh, changed my work with teen truth is if you think about psychology since Sigmund Freud, it's yeah. like, it was always about you, right? Yeah. Like he was like, lay down on the couch, tell me what's wrong with you. And we're going to work through it. And it really wasn't until the seventies and eighties where marriage and family therapists really started to come into the equation. And people started to ask a different question and say, Hmm, I wonder if it's not really what's wrong with you. I wonder if it's what's wrong with the system around yeah. you. That's powerful. And so as a therapist, I'm trained, you know, whether I'm at a school or whether I'm in session with a couple or even working with a teenager in session, I'm trained to kind of look at that system around my clients. And what I've noticed is when I can recalibrate that system and get a different momentum moving in their relationships, a lot of the times the, the social and emotional things they're struggling with start to decrease. And so that was kind of the hypothesis that we took into the book and wow. said, okay, if we believe in this system work and we are kind of a some of our parts, what could we do to kind of build that system around each kid on campus? And so in that book, Building Resilient Students from the Inside Out, that's what we really kind of looked at is like, how could a teacher, how could an administrator, how could we as parents do that on a daily basis for our kids? No, it's beautiful. It's such a, it's such a valuable point because we are in a lot of ways what was modeled to us. And what was modeled to us in a lot of ways was the system, the operating system, which we were taught, right? And that's why I find that like trauma healing and healing work is so incredibly important because you rewrite the system, you rewrite the narrative. And so when it comes to your work and your history with school systems building um, systems, uh, what have you seen um, not work I guess in the past and how are they transitioning? Um, and also I would love to segue into the systems of homes. 
um, you know, what kind of systems can parents begin to create inside of their own home that can help foster um, resiliency being cultivated within their children? Yeah, deep questions for sure. Um, <laughs> um, so I, I think like the, like what I've what I've seen not working, yeah. right? Not working is when students feel. And today, Caleb, we're talking primarily about teenagers. So yeah. um, if you were asking me about a seven or eight year old, my response as a counselor might be a little bit different. But when we're talking about teenagers, what I have seen that's not working is when the student feels like they have no control of their life, right? Yeah. If you think about it, like if you, you talked about the modeling, if the story has been kind of built out from day one, it's like, you know, they fell on the ground. They were, someone was there to pick them up and put, put a bandaid on their knee, even though they were probably okay. You know, someone was there to kind of tell them what sports they should play when they were younger, even though maybe that's not a sport they wanted to play. You know, their teachers told them what classes to take and what assignments to have. We meet kids on the road whose parents tell them what college they got to go to and what job they need to have. And what happens is over time, the child starts to feel like they do not have control of their life. They do not have agency. They don't have ownership in the decisions. I mean, I've met kids on the road, Caleb, where they're like, my parents want me to go to, you know, whatever, uh, you know, Notre Dame. And I want to go to, you know, Wisconsin, (laughs) Um, and and there's like battle around that. Right. Or, or, or parents that are just like, like driving down on the child and just how hard that can be when they're like, I don't know if that's me. I mean, even like I am coaching baseball right now. (laughs) We've got some parents, Caleb, it is crazy. Like they're yelling at the kid, literally every play. Move your hands, move your feet, do Bro, this. That was my do that. It's like it's like <laughs> I don't even know if this kid likes baseball, all right? Like, you know, and so what happens is the child loses um sense of agency. Like, yeah, they lose the agency, they lose a the desire, they're not in control. And so when you talk about building a system within the house with regards to teenagers, yeah. I th- think what's really important is that we start to kind of work as a consultant with them and ask the questions. Mm. Um, there's this fabulous book, The Self-Driven Child, mm. uh, written by Ned Johnson and Dr. William Strixrud. And I've had the opportunity to sit and interview them and know their work really well. And what they kind of introduce is this consultant model in that. the book. And I just love it. Like talk about a system. And so to explain the consultant model, think about those of you listening, you might be educators, maybe you work in a corporation or whatever. Think about a school or a company bringing in a consultant. Yeah. Yeah. What does a consultant do? They don't walk in the door and start bossing people around and tell them what to do. They walk in the door and start asking questions, right? They start getting answers. Yeah. They maybe build an Excel sheet. They create a report. They, they hand off their advice. And I think for us as parents, as well as educators, we need to ask ourselves, are we in the consultant role or are we in like that parenting role? And what's hard yeah. with being a parent is like, when kids are six and seven, we need to be in the parenting yeah. role. Like we need to be there with them, helping them make decisions and kind of guiding them. But when they're 13, 14, 15, it really shifts. And we got to be asking the questions because that's what gives them the agency. That's what gives them the choice. Like just in that example of Notre Dame and Wisconsin, it's like, well, where do you want to go? Like, yeah. let's go visit both campuses and 
you know, which one do you like? You know, I'm here to support you because here's the deal, Caleb, and there's a ton of research coming out about it right now, is there is no direct correlation between like what college you go to and what kind of success and happiness you're going to have in life, right? And there's actually some research saying that sometimes going to the higher performing schools can actually have a negative impact on your happiness and success in life, as opposed to maybe going like where I went to Texas State, right? Like sometimes that state school education might give you more opportunity because there's just you know more opportunity there um to kind of follow your path you um so i don't know how that's going but yeah yeah no this is incredible i love that we're talking about this because i'm even thinking about my childhood and i and i love my parents dearly but my god if if i've never heard a better example on a prime reason why we as adults need to take responsibility for our lives and heal and take time to heal our own trauma, our own wounds in our life, because otherwise we project them onto other people and we begin to overparent or live vicariously through our children, right? And then suddenly we have hijacked their sense of agency and hijacked their lives because we're so afraid that they're going to live out the same the same mistakes that you've might have made as an adult or as a young person, instead of you taking responsibility and dealing with that fear and helping empower your student, helping empower your children to make an informed and emotionally aware and grounded decision that they have a sense of control over. And I'm reading a book on overparenting right now. And the direct correlation, I don't even have kids, JC. I'm preparing you. For I know, I was say, there's something I need to know about here. No. no, you know, but the direct correlation between overparenting and the lack of resiliency seen in a student is so high, right? It yeah. is so profound. And I think that is such a gray area. And you really do a gray area in regards to when do I need a parent and when do I need to be a consultant? Right. Yeah. When does when to know and to have the situational awareness of to know like, oh, I'm in my parent, my parent role or no, I'm being a consultant right now because we do run the risk of overparenting and actually. Actually, like taking away our child's chance from actually becoming a more emotionally aware and resilient young person that's going to set them up to do great things in life. Yeah, I mean, Dr. Garcia at Texas State, he was one of my favorite professors. He was from, he was actually from Tennessee, so he had this amazing, like, Tennessee accent. I'll never forget, he said, you know, <laughs> I won't even try to imitate it, but, you know, young trees need strong winds. Yeah. Young trees need strong winds. And if you think about it, it is so true. And what has happened now, really, in our society, um, you know, you and I grew up with helicopter parents. Yeah. And, uh, now that now I like to call them lawnmower parents or bulldozer parents. And th- these parents are out in front of the kids mowing down all the problems, yep. mowing down. all. I mean, we literally just saw with this college cheating, you know, scam yes. where parents, parents are like cheating to get the kids into college. And so what value is there when you look at that through the lens of resiliency, what value is there of the child not struggling, right? Like not getting into USC young trees need strong winds and it's sometimes those hard times in our life where we have to reassess i know your personal story really well you've had to reassess things even me at teen truth like we've had to reassess things and evolve and change and you know we all just went through covid we had to pivot like crazy was pivot not the most popular word in 2020 or whatever (laughs) um but uh you know that is what that is a skill we're trying to get the child to learn and that is a skill we're going to need for the rest of their life and that is the underlying element of what resilience is really all about, right? Yeah. 
and I and I do have compassion um, towards parents because, like I said, I'm not a parent. We're not even expecting. And I was reading this book on overparenting, and I, JC, I could feel it in my bones. I would be an over. I would overparent. Like as I'm reading this, I'm like, oh my god, this is so hard because you do want the best. You do want to prevent them from deep pain and hurt and heartbreak and all of these things but there is such a fine line between stepping over that line and then just creating them such a safe space so that then they do experience that pain you can help foster the emotional connection right the systems at play that's going to help them process overcome work through those challenges that they'll inevitably face. But I could literally feel it in my bones. Like, oh my God. I told Kara, I was like, Kara, we're screwed. I'm going to be a parent that over parents. Oh my God. <laughs> maybe maybe that's why yeah. I'm learning about it now. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and Caleb, so what it is there, like from a counseling, so what I like to call it is like, you just need to be good enough. Mm. And I think so often, like we've got all these parenting experts out there and books and blogs and there's so much information for yeah. parents to digest that it, it we do like want to be the perfect parent because we do love our kids we do want them to have success and yeah. i think like what i try to do is help parents pull back a little bit and say okay well how can you just be good enough it doesn't mm. have to be perfect we don't want to bubble it's wrap good. our kids we want them to struggle um you know how can you put them in safe secure you know safe secure situations but um, still allow them to struggle yeah. and fail and deal with everything that life brings at you. Yeah, there's such a gray area with all this because I'm thinking of, you know, people that I know and, and, and some parents that I know that's like, I'm not helping you at all. You're on your own, which prevents and creates, not prevents, but creates a whole new set of, <laughs> you know, emotional yeah. challenges. So, so here, here's the analogy I use in therapy a lot Please. with clients. You know, I'm, I'm in my 40s, so Top Gun pretty much changed my life, right? Like, <laughs> I want to be Maverick so bad when I was growing up. But uh, so here's the analogy I use. is like with, with students in particular, we want to be like that aircraft carrier. Yeah. And you remember the scene in Top Gun where Maverick's bringing a, what was his name, Cougar? Uh, he's bringing Cougar back to the plane in the very beginning of the movie. And he's like flying him back to the aircraft carrier. And Cougar's like freaking out because he's scared of is losing his family or whatever. And there's that great scene where it's like once he gets back to the aircraft carrier, everything kind of stabilizes. Mm -hmm. And I think what we want our kids to know is that we as parents, we are the aircraft carrier. That's good. And sometimes they're going to go up and they're going to be like Cougar and they need someone to bring them back. You know, Cougar, pull up, pull up, pull up. It's like, you know, but, but sometimes they're going to go out and be like Maverick. Sometimes they're going to go out and be like Iceman. Sometimes they're going to go on missions, right? Yeah. And what they need to know is that they can always come back, right? And that's what creates that secure attachment with the child. So good. And it actually makes them more independent. Like you'd almost think it wouldn't, like you're saying those parents are like, you need to do everything. You, it, it actually, by, by knowing that they have a secure base yeah. to come back to, it gives them the, the more courage to like go out there and push the boundary a little bit more for themselves. And so I don't know if that helps anyone Absolutely. listening, but um, um, for all those out there that grew up on Top Gun and, and Goonies, uh, that definitely uh, <laughs> JC, definitely you're, you're probably going to fire me after this, but I've never seen either one of those movies. Oh, man. Come on, Caleb. <laughs> Well, you got to watch Goonies. You gotta watch yeah, Goonies. Right. How can you talk about resiliency if you've never seen Goonies? You I know. know. No, I'll put it on my list. I think it's a, it's a superb uh, or, um, uh, analogy. Um, I love that. I'm glad you said that. I, I'm curious on what you would think about this. I had a conversation with a, a young woman who is actually 19 years old, and she is a freshman at Yale. 
Only school she applied for. So you can you can kind wow. of understand what uh, kind of student she was. Uh, just very much a high achiever and uh, has done tremendous things, right? Uh, she, in this interview, and I, it will be on the podcast, and she was so brave and so courageous to open up and to talk about the mental health struggles or specifically around suicidal ideation uh, with her life and panic attacks and anxiety attacks that were happening daily. But she was flying under the radar because she, by all appearances, was thriving in every area of her life. And I asked her and I said, what do you wish your parents would have done differently? And she goes, you know, I want to first clarify that I had great parents I had really great parents. They loved me. They supported me. Um, she goes, but one thing I wish they would have done differently, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this, is she says, I wish they asked me about my happiness. Only thing that they asked me about was my schedule, my extracurricular activities, my testing. Because they saw me thriving in those areas, she said, they subconsciously or unconsciously thought that those are the areas that they would follow up on because it would actually create more connection because she was thriving and she enjoyed it. She goes, so I prioritize those things in my life. So if those were points of connection with my parents, and that's what they were always asking me about, I prioritize them in my life. And she goes, I think if they would have asked me about my happiness or my mental health, I also would have prioritized that in my life. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard as parents. We're not like magicians, right? We're reading <laughs> and all that's going on, and and that story, sure. you know, as you as we travel the country with Teen Truth, you've heard that story many times, over and over. Of like we never saw it coming, or yeah. we couldn't believe it happened, and he was such a good guy, or she was, you know, so involved. And I th I think two things kind of come up for me there. Um, one of the practices that I have that I've kind of adopted with my kids. Now my kids are a little younger, but I think I'm hoping this will carry all through, you know, their life. Even um, before we go to bed, you know, we do our bedtime stories and everything, but we do a thumbs up and a thumbs down um, every That's night, great. you know, kind of a win and a loss. And I think what I'm trying to do there with the child is just build up a bond where they can talk about a thumbs up, but I'm also giving them the space to, to know that, that they can talk about a thumbs down and some nights they tell me, Oh, nothing today was great. You know, they're, he's in first grade. So like sometimes in first grade, it's awesome, you know, but other times he comes home and he has a thumbs down and, and that allows us to kind of process his feelings and talk about what he's going through and um, let him know that like I am there. And, and ultimately what I'm trying to communicate to him is like, there is nothing that you could say or do to uh, make me stop loving you. On, you know, Jason. I am there to listen and I am here to support you and root for you. And so I think as parents, like anything that we can do, and even as teachers, like I've met teachers on the road where they kind of do a similar thumbs up, thumbs down, just to like the bottom of assignments. They'll actually have a question like, are you, how are you feeling today? Good or bad? Or, <laughs> and yeah. then kids can insert, if they circle the thumbs down, like at least the teacher can like follow up and say, Hey, I saw you. Thought you're having a thumbs down the other day. What's going on? How are you feeling? And um, just kind of allows the child that opportunity to reach out. Because like you said, like, you know, in the case of that student, some of these kids are moving so fast. They're, they're hyper scheduled. They're, they're staying up all night. They're not getting enough sleep. Um, and they're not slowing down to have that conversation. So we as parents, you talked about modeling from when you first yeah. jumped this thing off. And it's like, I think that's what modeling really is, right? Is like modeling what it looks like to slow down talk about our feelings um, and even express our own thumbs up and thumbs down so with our kids and not be afraid of that. Dude, that's so good. That actually, I started tearing up. <laughs> yeah. I'm like so thankful um, that you're creating the space for your son and just, 
empowering your son, you know, to grow up as an emotionally mature young man. Yeah. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah. So I'm awesome. I'm glad yeah. you shared that because yeah. that helps me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so good. Um, let's transition a little bit here and dive into your book um, and talk yeah. about some proven tactics around building resilience. Yeah. So where this is coming from is, you know, my time as a counselor. So I've been a, I've been a marriage and family therapist now for about six years, pr practicing private practice. And then over the last 15 years, I've been on over 1200 school campuses. So I've, you know, worked with millions of students and tons of educators during that time and just started to see a few things that really stuck out to me around like what makes a resilient student. And so when you look at that system in the book, there's kind of five things that we outline. There's charismatic adults, so how we as adults have a unique opportunity to step into a student's life and speak into their heart at just the right time. Now, th these type of people are uh, not always mom and dad, especially for teenagers. They are the coaches. They are the teachers. They are the counselors. They are the people at the Boys and Girls Club. They're in the neighborhood, in the churches. They are people that are there to have the conversation with the student when maybe the student might be open because you and I know you, I played football, not nearly as well as you, Caleb, <laughs> but, but you know, sometimes when you're 16 years old, there's just something you'd rather talk to your football coach about sure, sure. than talk to your dad about. Yeah. Right. Um, the other thing that we really believe is it's really important to let kids know that they're not alone in some of the feelings that they're having and struggling with. Yeah. And so at teen truth, we work really hard to kind of break down that, uh, that myth. Love and we talk a lot about wearing a mask. We talk a lot about how we kind of put things out to the world. And we just encourage kids to kind of take that mask off. And so anything that we can do to let kids know that they're not alone, whether that's through our own modeling and storytelling, yeah. like we've been talking about, or through movies and films and art, or experiences on campus like Teen Truth, where they get to connect with other kids. And, you know, it's weird for us as adults, because we can look back and we know that kids aren't alone in how they're feeling. But developmentally, when you're 15 years old, you just, you're just not there. You feel alone. I mean, we all remember having that pimple on our face when we were younger and being so freaked yeah. out, right? Oh my God, I got a pimple on my face. And the truth is nobody in the hallway even noticed it because they were all worried about their own pimple on their face. Um, you know, so it's, it's important to remind kids that, you know, we all have struggles. And, and then the other thing that we really think is important is to get kids into a face-to-face -face relationship more often. Mm. Um, I'm a big proponent of technology. Like you and I, this is amazing. Like yeah. we get to talk here on Zoom. People are going to see this interview. They're going to listen to it on, on, on podcasts and everything. Technology is awesome. Mm. Um, but I feel it's really important to make sure that we are still getting our students in good old-fashioned face-to-face relationships, whatever that looks like. I believe with kids, it's primarily through the activity programs at school. So whether that's clubs, student leadership, yeah. um, the sports programs, the band, the theater, the dance, you know, yearbook, whatever it looks like, really helping our kids find their voice. Going back to that example from the baseball field, right, yeah. like that you brought up, not pigeonholing them in, into what we think they should do but giving them the platform and the opportunity to figure out what they want to do and then really like put pouring gasoline on it and trying to get them involved. And so um, we feel that face-to-face -face relationships are critically important. And then the last two things we focus on in the book is just this idea of solution focused thinking. Yeah. I've really seen that in my therapy. It's growth mindset. Uh, yeah. Just really with students, like they, they just naturally are problem focused. Like I said, they're worried about the pimple. They're worried about the test. They're worried about what other people might think. Um, just to help them be solution focused. And so what I like to do, and you're, those of you out there listening are welcome to steal this. 
I like to use the word wonder. Mm. I find the word wonder does wonders for our kids. All right. And like, here's what I do is I let them express whatever they're going through. Like you mentioned suicidal ideation. We have kids dealing with crazy stuff at home. We got kids dealing with bullying, whatever it is, the thumbs down, right? The thumbs down. And, and you just say like this, you go like this, Hmm. I wonder how you're going to get through that. Mm. Or, huh. I wonder what you've done in the past to work through something like that. I wonder how other people have done that. Wow. And the reason why the word wonder is so great is it, it, it turns a solution focused immediately, right? And it's non-confrontational. Mm. So it's not like, how would you get through that? Or what do you need or to do? I think you should do this. Yeah, yeah. Like, why aren't you doing that? Yeah. It's like, I wonder, I wonder. And then, and then you just let it sit. And it's really fun in the counseling office to do because then you just sit in silence. <laughs> It's like, I wonder how you're going to work through that. And they're like, oh my God, my mom's paying you. You're you're not going to give me the answer. No, that's not what counseling is. I'm not going to give you the answer. Um, And so, you know, doing that really helps kids get solution focused. And I found out that like, when they do become solution focused, boom, they like, they take off like a rocket. It's a sense of purpose too. There's like that sense of like, oh, I have control. I have agency. I can work through this. I have purpose. And I know that purpose is such a, an important component in building resilience yeah so this is not yes so good you have yeah i mean one of our other speakers jared scott um here at team truth like that's what he really believes yeah. is purpose once you have that purpose everything changes yeah. because you have something you're driving at and and sometimes unfortunately that takes time yeah it's not something that you turn 13 years old and you automatically know and yeah. You know, you and me, like I found it by accident. <laughs> I'm st- I think yeah. I'm still looking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, so yeah, I think that's that that's key. And then the last thing that we really focus on in the book, Caleb, that I think is like the the linchpin of the whole resiliency question is just the idea of self efficacy. Mm. And so, if there's time, I'd love to kind of give Please. you all a little definition. Can I, I love self efficacy. Can I just I just wish that the English language created another word that represents what self-efficacy works because it's such an unattractive word. Exactly. And, and I don't want to sound stupid or anything, but those of you out there listening, maybe you're with me, like, I never even heard this word until I went to Texas State, okay? Right. Like, until Dr. Garcia. Hey, kids, yeah, I never let me heard. tell you about so, self-efficacy yeah, today. Yeah, 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 yeah. So here's, here's the deal, Caleb. Please. What's the word that we've heard? Can you tell me the word that we've always heard growing up? No. What would it be? Self, self-esteem. Ah, yes. You're right. right? Self-esteem. That's yeah. all we've heard growing up. Self-esteem, yeah. self-esteem, right? So here's the issue with self-esteem. Mm. Self-esteem comes from external factors. Come on. All right? The award we win esteems ourselves, right? The clothes we wear esteems ourselves. The compliment yeah. we get. Like, there's nothing bad about some of this stuff. The compliment we get esteems ourselves. Um, we know these, you out there listening, people in your neighborhood that drive the fancy car, yeah. right? It esteems them, right? And so what's the problem with that? Is that comes from external forces. So Stay. if those things aren't there or the car, you go bankrupt and the car gets taken away, like it, the, the, the things that we're building you up are suddenly gone and yeah. they're not there. And so what is self-efficacy? Well, that's the internal belief of who we are and what we can accomplish. And the best example I give when I define this um, is a story that we all know very well. And it's the story of David and Goliath, David and Goliath. And um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, who's one of my favorite writers, wrote a book, David and Goliath. And in, in the book, he talks about like, 
the actual like historical event. And so I think it really illustrates what self-efficacy is all about because, you know, just to paint the picture for you, Caleb, there are two armies, right? And they're ready yeah. to go to battle. And, and both armies are basically on the opposite sides of a valley. And so neither army really wants to run down one side of the valley, run up the other side of the valley, and then, and fight. then fight a bunch <laughs> of dudes who are just like standing there waiting for them, right? And so what Gladwell points out is that they, they agree to like, uh, single single combat. And so they say, all right, here's the deal. None of us want, we're going to send down our best warrior and you send down your best warrior. Whoever wins, we'll call it a day and battle's over, right? And so one side sends down Goliath. Yeah. And as we all know, Goliath is his biggest, ugliest, most <laughs> ogre looking dude you've ever seen in your life, right? Um, he is like muscles coming out of his neck. He's probably got one eye. He's got crazy hair. He's got scars all over the place. You would not want to fight Goliath, right? And so the other armies up there on the other side of the hill and they're like kicking rocks right they're like there's no way we're gonna go down there and fight this guy right and all of a sudden this little shepherd boy in the back he says he raises his hand says i'll yeah. go i'll go fight him i'll go take him out and everyone turns around like what this kid david is gonna do that yeah. and so here's the deal that gladwell points out um and it's the illustration of self-efficacy i'm trying to get across is that you see david was a shepherd and he was an expert with his slingshot yeah and now, Caleb, this wasn't like a slingshot like Dennis right. the Menace used, right? Like this was actually a leather strap that held a rock, yeah. like a rock. And experts tell us that when David or, or people of that time used that slingshot, they could throw the rock at, at the equivalent, uh, ballistic equivalent of a handgun, basically. Um, so David literally knew he was bringing a handgun to a sword fight. So just keep that in mind. The other thing that David knew is when he was protecting his sheep, um, he had to keep wolves yeah. and lions away. And the wolves were oftentimes far away, a distance away. So they were kind of hard to hit. Lions are really fast and strong. Um, they were moving quickly. And what he knew with, with Goliath is that he was not going to be far away. And he was not fast, right? He was going to be standing right there in front of him. And so when David knocked him down with the ballistic equivalent of a handgun, we all think it was so amazing. But here's the deal, Caleb. David knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. He had the self-efficacy to know that he he had the power to work through that to work through that situation and so when we are the underdog like david is and what what malcolm gladwell does so well in the book is just kind of outlining like you know sometimes it's that work in life like you and i have been talking about for the last 45 minutes right it's the the winds of life the struggles we go through the problems we face that build the self-efficacy to walk down in the valley and take on Goliath. Yeah, I love that. And uh, the whole time I'm sitting here thinking about how that was such a definitive moment for David's life. Like we want to talk purpose, we found purpose, right? And we maybe, maybe not know the story that unfolds on David's life afterwards. But I'm sitting here thinking about David found purpose in a big way that day, according to the story, as you just told. What would have happened if David's father ran out every time he was shepherding and fought his battles for him. We, yeah. He literally would have missed out on his chance to step up and to find purpose in his life. When we fight the battles of our children, we are robbing them the chance of finding purpose in life. Amen, brother. I might make some people mad there, but I just can't yeah. help it. Well, true. And to, take, to take the analogy further, right, Caleb? There's nothing wrong with the father teaching how yes, to use this come on. shot, right? Or yeah. saying, hey, there's a wolf over there. Like, you got to do X, Y, and Z, you know? And so it's like building up the skills. Like, 
as opposed to, um, you know, one, one thing that I really try to work with parents on is not to look at the actions and, and to really kind of help students with their efforts. And as long as we're kind of praising, praising efforts and emotions and working on that, um, the action is kind of the outcome that comes out of that. And so I think like if we can carry that in our hearts as parents and as educators working on students, we should, we should always be guided to the right place, I believe. Yeah. And that's just so much of the work around growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Carol Dweck, Mindset of Success, does such a great job at laying that mm-hmm. out. Um, real quick, the last point I want to make or ask you about is as you talk about the different steps that you take to help build resilience, um, you talked about like the importance of you know opening up and let's talk about like what's going on in your life and so we can work through it. I can't help but to think that and this is something that I hone in on with students. Like it's so important to talk about these struggles that you're going through. Otherwise we end up suppressing our emotions and that creates a whole monster in and of itself that you have to work through at some point um, or not work through and just, we all know what kind of life that turns into, right? right? An emotionally constipated life is not a fun life to live. Um, I talk and, I, and I, I'm challenged with this sometimes, especially like the school that I spoke at the other day that we had mentioned that they're going through hell and back. Nobody at that age should have to go through what these what these kids are going through. It's just, it's not fair. And I'm, I'm asking them to open up and talk about the things that are going on in their lives. To do that, you have to feel emotionally safe. And like you said early on, like that school in regards to grit, right? How it's in certain like socioeconomic uh, groups, that's not applicable. It's not fair to talk about that. I know that we can't always assume that students feel safe at home. We can't always assume that students feel emotionally safe at school to talk about these things. And whether you have a great relationship with your son or daughter or children, or whether you have a more problematic and you're trying to restore this relationship, what are some ways based on your history, your knowledge, that parents can really ensure and start working towards creating safe spaces at home that give students the permission to talk about what's going on in their life? Yeah. Yeah, Caleb, it's such an important issue you bring up, and my heart just goes out to those students you mentioned at that school, and it's just it's it's hard. And so, I think my answer is kind of twofold. Um, so, one thing that we can do as parents is work on creating the space with our kids. And one of the experts we interviewed for the parenting film we made had a really good point. His name was Dr. Bradley, I think, if I remember correctly. And um, you know, a lot of times that space isn't always available to us because of what home life is like. And what Bradley says in the film is like, you know, the kitchen is where curfews are fought, right? (laughs) The kitchen is where homework battles are fought. And so if you want to have an emotionally connected conversation with your kid, he's, you know, get them to Starbucks, get them to IHOP, get them in the car, get them walking the dog, get them in a different type of situation where you can relate as people. Additionally, like we were talking about earlier, the thumbs up, thumbs down, like that also requires you to engage in a thumbs up, thumbs down type conversation. And I believe if you do that and you can, you know, you and my boys, like what the thing I say the most is I tell them, I'm starting to get frustrated. I'm starting to get frustrated. Like I'm trying to let them know like that I'm starting to get frustrated. You know, unfortunately when you're seven and four, you don't always, I guess, care, but um, you know, I'm trying to create a space where, Hey, dad is, dad is expressing his emotions right now. And, you know, I'm willing to talk to you. The other thing, you know, that I do with my boys that, you know, I know it happens with teenagers too, is like when you do blow up, and you know the you know what hits the fan um 
create the space to go back and say, Hey, you know, mom, mom shouldn't have yelled at you like yeah. that. Or, you know, dad, dad can go into the room and say, Hey, I'm really sorry that happened. I've had a hard day at work and I shouldn't have done that. And so what that does is it, it creates a little bit of vulnerability and it creates that connection. So I think, you know, those two things are just so important for us to do. Now, the other thing I want to highlight that, that we do drive out in the book and, and um, I, I do want audience members to take away, especially when we're talking about teenagers is that that space might not always be created with a parent. Okay. I love as much as we love our kids yeah. and we want to have that space, like I said earlier, they're just, I had a great dad. My dad's yeah. awesome. Like he's a teacher. He taught sixth grade. Like he's a good guy, but you know, there's just certain things that coach Medina, who was my football coach that I just rather yeah. talk to him about. Right. Um, and so like making sure our kids have uh, that charismatic adult in their life that I talked about earlier um, is so, so important. And even with COVID shutting down many of our activities and things, I would still argue it's like, you still got to push. Like, I don't care if there's COVID or no COVID. Yeah. It's like, these kids need other people in their life. They need, they need to go to the church camp. They need to go to the yeah. boys and girls club. They need to play on the team or, or the, the activity that they want to do that they, so, I mean, like one thing that we can do as parents is be like, okay, well, you know, I really want you to do an activity. Okay. So as a parent, I'm kind of putting my foot down. I'm guiding you. Like I'm still your parent, but you can choose between soccer band and gymnastics or whatever, yeah. you know, like yeah. you have the choice, but the hope is that on the soccer field or in the gymnastics gym, that they'll interact with other caring adults that will be there when the child breaks down in the locker room because they're crying about the stress, right? I love or it. We'll be there to just offer that, you know, they, a lot of these teams, they'll ride on the bus, you know, they'll be on the van, they'll be on the yeah. bus, they'll, they'll be there. And so what are we doing as parents? Okay, you asked about the strategy for parents. What's our strategy to get our kids truly interacting with other charismatic adults? Mm. Uh, I think should be an important part of like the parenting portfolio. Yeah, I, I, I love this. Um, I can't help but to think that a lot of parents initially will think that if their student or their children go somewhere else, they're not good enough of a parent. And it doesn't mean that yeah. it does not mean that. Right. It's just so important. I know that if somebody for me as a young adult high school, like I did go to somebody else um, and spoke to them a lot about my challenges and it had no reflection of my mom being, or my dad being a poor parent. Right. Yeah. It's just necessary yeah. for me. Uh, last question. I've absolutely loved our time together. Um, yeah, this has been sure. so beneficial. I'm loving doing this, these podcasts because I'm like, Oh, I'm really preparing myself one day. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. I, this podcast yeah. is called, uh, you're doing a good job. And it actually originated from a question that a therapist asked me in a session one day. Um, and now I actually do this exercise with a lot of students when I'm doing workshops with them, actually probably should have told you that. <laughs> um, <laughs> But the question um, uh, that I would love for you to answer that every guest answer is what do you wish were the words that you would have heard more often from the adults in your life as you were growing up? Mm. That is a good question. Um, I, I don't mean like this is kind of weird because it goes against everything we've talked about today, but like, um, I wish I would have heard you can't. As <laughs> crazy as that sounds. No, it's good. So, so my parents are like super supportive. Like my mom, I have an Italian mom. So, like if you've ever watched Everyone Loves Raymond, you pretty much know what my mom's like. And she's like our moms are sisters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so I'll just give you a quick example Please. that 
that did hold some value for me is like, I remember being a young kid telling my grandfather that I wanted to be a sportscaster. Mm. And it wasn't that he told me I couldn't, but he kind of sat me down and I don't remember who was on TV at the time, but, you know, kind of made me realize that John Madden was a former NFL coach and that, you know, whatever, Troy Aikman was a Super Bowl winning quarterback. And so like um, the road to being a sportscaster, um, while it could be a good dream, um, you know, maybe a very, 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 very hard road. Right. And so um, I think in my life, I've always had a can do attitude. Like that's what makes me a good entrepreneur. And that that's what, fills my passion and fills my bucket. Um, but I think sometimes I, I wish I would have had a little bit more guidance, I guess, on, on limiting that belief. Yeah. I don't know. Cause life is so hard, right? Yeah. Like, and, and what's, what's ironic for me is if you were to like scope out my life, like a stock market chart, like you would see high school and middle school, high stock, like mm. the, the stock was high emotionally. Um, it was more like the harder things for me were like from 25 to 35, so like, that's when I really struggled. Cause it was like, Oh my God, I can't do everything. And Oh my God, <laughs> life is really hard. And, oh my God. I just got laid off. And, you know, and so Absolutely. I think sometimes I had a great childhood, but it's like, just, I guess I didn't understand all that. Yeah. I just feel like I didn't understand all that. It makes total sense. Thanks for sharing that too. And the yeah. last thing I want to say is JC, I know that you know, early on at the beginning of this podcast, you talked about how you were having a successful career out in LA in the movie industry. Um, and you decided to leave to pursue this venture. I know that that step probably required you to make a lot of sacrifices. It wasn't easy. It was hard. Um, and I just want to honor you for taking that step and navigating that liminal space that's full of uncertainty uh, because undoubtedly the work that you're doing has not only had a direct and big impact on my life, but I know it's reaching thousands and thousands of students. So I just want to honor you and say thank you uh, for saying yes. And also thank you for being here today, man. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Caleb. It was an honor to sit with you. We love our work. We feel so blessed to be here. If anyone wants to connect with me, I just want to offer one resource out. If If you're interested in learning more about the book, and you go to teentruth.net forward slash resilient students. So that's teentruth.net forward slash resilient students. You can actually download the first few chapters of the book for free. Uh, No strings attached. It's just my gift to you. And in those first few chapters, we talk in depth about charismatic adults. So I kind of feel they're like the most important chapters. So if you can check that out for free, go ahead. And uh, it's not as popular as our teentruth.net slash Caleb Campbell site. I'll I'll have these links uh, in the description to this podcast (laughs) for sure. Um, And so you'll access your book, all the work that Teen Truth is doing. So, all right, JC, I appreciate you, man. Have a great day.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.